If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about some new rules that the SEC has put out, and there may or may not be concerns about those. Joining me today is Ken Benson. He is the president and CEO of SIFMA. And SIFMA stands for Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association. Welcome to the show, Ken. Heather, thank you for having me. Before we get into some of these new rules, I do think we want to set the stage for my listeners. What does SIFMA do and what is your role in all of this? Absolutely. That's a great question. I'd I'd like to think everybody knows what it is, but I'm sure they don't. So SIFMA, as you said, is the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association. We are a trade association representing broker-dealers, investment banks, and asset managers. So our members are companies like Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, to big regional broker-dealers like Raymond James or R.W. Baird, uh, asset managers like Fidelity, Vanguard, PIMCO, to some very small independent broker-dealers all across the country. And uh, we represent, I'd say, north of 80% of market share of the broker-dealer sector, securities dealers. And our focus is is really kind of threefold. So number one, we are a convening body for the industry. We operate a number of committees populated by our member companies, and we are an advocate for the industry. So we advocate before our industry's regulators, principally the Securities and Exchange Commission, but also other financial federal financial regulators like the Commodities Futures Trading Commission or the banking regulators. We advocate before Congress. We advocate before state uh, regulatory bodies and state uh, legislatures. And lastly, I should say, as part of our convening work that we do, or we bring the industry together to work on operational issues that including operational resiliency and business continuity planning and cyber resiliency. We did a lot of work, continue to do a lot of work with respect to COVID when, when the country went remote overnight, more or less, and yeah. markets were, were quite volatile for a period, but making sure that markets can stayed open and continue to operate. That's a lot. I should probably stop there and, <laughs> and happy to answer any questions about that. But Well, first of all, I like that there is an association, these different groups, the broker dealers, investment banks, asset managers, they can all kind of convene and try to work out shared interests within SIFMA. However, a lot of what you mentioned are the big banks. They are the man, so to speak. And typically, when the man doesn't like SEC rules that are in place, it's because it hurts them and actually helps the little guy like me, the Main Street people. So before we again get into what these new rules are, I'm going to be very skeptical and go, why should I believe that any of these rules coming out are really hurtful? That's, you know, that's an entirely fair point to make. And as I said, you know, our, our membership runs across the industry, some very large financial services companies, some very small financial services companies. And at the end of the day, our industry is one of the most regulated industries in the United States at both the federal and the state level. And in particular, when you consider the fact that uh, our members are not just institutional markets participants, but uh, to their very core, advising retail investors, your listeners, who you know put their trust 
with uh, their financial advisor for their savings and, and retirement assets. So our concerns, you know, because we are a highly regulated industry, we engage with our regulators on, a, on, a, on an ongoing and regular basis, and often in a, in a, I'd like to think, a very collegial way. At the end of the day, they're our regulator. They make the law, Congress makes the law, and, and empowers the regulators to uh, implement that law through regulation. But at the same time, when regulators uh, promulgate or, or put out rules, it's the industry is that is the one that has to put those rules in place. It's the industry that has to develop the compliance systems, the policies and procedures. Often there are all sorts of operational issues that have to be addressed, and that has knock-on effects all the way down the line. So why would it matter if, if the industry is complaining or concerned that uh, their regulator is you know, putting out too many rules and not giving enough time for stakeholders to comment? And aren't you all just against everything and don't want regulation? In fact, there are a number of things that the SEC is proposing that we support. There are some things that they're proposing that we were working on before they proposed the rule. One example is something called accelerated settlement. And this is between the time that you place an order for a stock or a bond, it takes two days to settle. We're looking to shorten that cycle to one day and do it in a way that keeps markets you know, safe and operating, but also reduces risk. We think that is a, should be a primary focus of the commission. Our concern, rather, is that they're trying to do too much too fast, and they're not prioritizing sufficiently, and that can lead to poor rulemaking. That can lead to conflicting rulemaking that has to be fixed later. Our suggestion is let's pick a few priority things like T plus one accelerated settlement cycle, like data privacy protection for the consolidated audit trail. Let's get those done because those are going to have impact on real, on real investors, retail investors. They're going to have impact on their, on their confidential uh, data that has to be reported. Let's get those out of the way before we get into you know, more exploratory issues. Now, to be fair, to be entirely fair, there are certain rules they propose we don't agree with. And that's, you know, that's the way the world goes, right? Sometimes you agree, sometimes you don't agree. Give us time to comment and we'll have our say. We hope you agree with what we're saying, why, are, you know, where we might give suggestions. But let's do it in an orderly fashion. Okay, this is a good place to take a break. When we come back, I want to go into that timing. The SEC apparently is not giving. I want to talk about, have they always moved this fast? Has it been slowly over the years or just this year alone? that all of a sudden these new rules are coming at us fast and furious. We'll be right back with Ken Benson, the president and CEO of SIFMA. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that if it affects your life in any way money-wise, we're talking about it. And today we're talking about the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, and you may not know it, but it actually affects your life. Joining me today is Ken Benson. He is the president and CEO of SIFMA, that is the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association. So, Ken, you were just saying at the end of that last segment that a lot of these new rules are coming out from the SEC are too fast too furious. So maybe we can start with normally they give the public or your associations about 60 to 90 days to comment on some of these new rules, but it's happening a lot faster now. Yes, yeah, so that, that's right. Um, it, and some may say, hey, this, you're just talking about process and, and policy is important here, but, but really they do intersect. So 
over the course of, of the last 14 or so months, the SEC has proposed 27 individual rulemakings and, and said they're planned to propose another, another 27. When they began proposing these rules, uh, they were only allowing stakeholders 30 days to comment. That's really unprecedented. As you pointed out, sort of standard procedure at the federal government level is 60 to 90 days, sometimes even longer. And if you go back and look at just the prior two commissions under the Trump administration and before that the Obama administration, on average, they were providing 60 to 90 days comment periods. And, and, and I might add as well, less than half the same number of proposed rulemakings. Now, why, why does it matter? I mean, it's, you know, why can't you get your work done in 30 days versus 60 days? And the reason it matters is that these are complex rulemakings. And our member firms, any other need to go through, in many cases, 300, 400, 500, 600 page rulemakings. Think about how they try and interpret what the commission's trying to accomplish, try and understand how, uh, how it would apply to existing policies and procedures or practices products, whatever it may be. Think about what might work, what might not work, what you might agree with. Do you want to provide any economic analysis? All of these things are very hard to do in in 30 days, even in some cases 60 days. But then add to that that you have multiple overlapping rules that you have to think about, not just in the context of one rule, but possibly two or three other rules and how they intersect. Often you have the same people. It really creates the potential for missing something or getting something wrong. And further, if you think about it on the other side, the people who are drafting the proposed rule are also operating under a very short time frame, and they're not able to do sufficient economic analysis or cost-benefit analysis. They're not able to think about how one rule proposal might interact with another rule proposal. And in fact, we've seen where the commission had to go back and reopen a proposed rulemaking subsequent to a new rulemaking because they recognized that they overlapped and there were there were some conflicts. Now, to be fair, the commission has now started to begin implementing a 60-day comment period, and we appreciate that. Again, what we think is important is to s- slow down and think about how these are going to work, prioritize what you, what needs to get done first. We may disagree on priorities, but but still, you should be prioritizing, but trying to do all of this at, at once and, and rush it through runs the risk of, of uh, potential failure. And we've seen this before in other agencies and where you rush through a rulemaking and then you realize it's not going to work the way it's intended. And then you have to you have to do something known as a no action letter, basically saying we're going to suspend the enforcement of this rulemaking while we go back and try and fix it later. So it's, it's not a very efficient process in doing it. Is the SEC coming out with these new rules really fast? Are they brand new or are they ones that they were trying to change or get back because the Trump administration changed a bunch of rules? It's really the former. It, they, these are mostly uh, proposed amendments to existing rulemakings going back many, many years. And in many cases, they're not rulemakings that Congress has said, with, with one exception, where Congress has said, we want you to go do something in this space. They're more, they're more, um, a new SEC coming in and saying, well, we want to think about changing this rule and changing that rule. I, I don't see it as a reaction to the prior administration as much as I, I think it's the, it's the motivation of the new SEC. 
of saying, well, maybe we should go in and change the rules here and change the rules there. Doesn't every administration, the president brings on their own people for different committees. So doesn't basically each administration just add or change new rules every time they get in? So why is this one so unusual? They do. And you're right. Uh, even even though this is uh, the SEC is, a, is, is what we would call an independent agency. Uh, it's not it's not an executive branch agency. It's an independent agency created by Congress. The chair is, is, is selected, is deemed by the president. And the president also gets a majority of the commissioners, uh, is able to nominate a majority of the commissioners. You're right. Every agency comes in and looks at rulemaking, looks at events on the ground, looks at where they might want to make changes. So, But the difference here is if you look back in the prior two SECs, one under a Republican administration, one under a Democratic administration, they really, at, at this stage of, of their tenure, proposed less than half the number of rule proposals that are being discussed right now. And again, many of these rule proposals are not things where Congress has explicitly said, uh, hey, SEC, we want you to go do something on this. They are operating under existing authority. We think in some cases maybe beyond the authority, but nonetheless, they're, they're based, in many cases, just going and amending existing rules that have been in place for many years. All right, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to go into how do some of these new rules, could they affect the little guy and not just the man? So we'll be right back with Ken Benson, the president and CEO of SIFMA. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about new rules coming out by the SEC, and they're coming out fast and furious. And joining me is Ken Benson. He is the president and CEO of SIFMA, and he says that there's just not enough time to review all of these rules coming out, and they could affect us. So I know that SIFMA represents uh, brokers and dealers and investment banks and asset managers and they're all about making a profit and they they make plenty of profit so how would these new rules affect the little guy because in my mind i'm thinking well hey if the banks and asset managers don't like this rule i might because it might actually mean more money in my pocket so that, that's a great question i uh, i would start by saying you know in the U.S., we have the you know, deepest, most liquid capital markets in the world, and those capital markets are fueled by individual retail investors, either directly through their own retirement account or, or investment account or through a, or a broader pension fund if they're a teacher and they're part of the teacher's pension fund or whatever it may be. That's, that's the vast majority of investors. And what does that investment do? It fuels the U.S. economy through capital formation, and the U.S. economy derives two-thirds of or, or more, really three-quarters three of U.S. economic activity is funded through the capital markets. That flows directly back. It, that flows two different ways. One, it flows into capital formation and job creation that, that, that generates growth in our economy. But the other thing it does is it, it flows a, a return back to the investors, who, as I said, either directly or indirectly are really the, the little guy, uh, the retail investor. So having effective, efficient markets is very important. Where we have concerns, if you're not thinking about how all of these rules are being done, they may seem opaque and complex in sort of institutional trading. But you think of things like changes around securities lending. Uh, securities are lent out on a daily basis. That provides a couple of benefits. It provides, in one case, benefit to investors because mutual funds offset their expense and fees 
by being able to lend out their securities uh, to other investors. So that has a direct effect on the on the price people pay for a mutual fund. The second uh, is lending out shares is an ability through which uh, people can short along a stock. And uh, why is that important? Because uh, academic studies and even the SEC over the years has said that the ability of having shorting is is really keeping issuers of corporations honest, being able to root out fraud, being able to have price transparency that, again, is to inures to the benefit of the retail investor. So it's important that that's done right. The other area uh, that, that I would mention is something that, that we think the SEC should do and should put at the front of the line that impacts retail investors is uh, has to do with data privacy. There is something that probably most of your listeners have not heard of before, known as the Consolidated Audit Trail. And this is the, this is the a database that the SEC is creating that will be the largest database in the world that will capture every retail and institutional trade. It's already capturing those trades uh, in one place so that the SEC can go back and, and map things like if there's a flash crash, you may remember that from a dozen years ago, or uh, look for nefarious behavior uh, among investors. But the other thing that that database is going to collect is a, a, a tremendous amount of retail investor personally identifiable information, name, year of birth, uh, address, things like that. Our concern uh, is that we, our members who are broker-dealers, have to turn their clients' information over to this SEC-created database. We have no control over that. The SEC has a, a rulemaking that was proposed two years ago to establish data privacy rules around that to protect that client data, who has access to it, how it's stored, but they haven't finalized that rule. So they're going to start collecting that data at the end of this year, and you have a situation where you have 27 different organizations who have access to that database, several thousand people that work for them, and no rules about what they can download and not download. Now, I think they're going to get that done, but we think that rule should have been passed two years ago, and then we think that rule should be at the front of the line. Uh, because because the last thing we want to see is for uh, our clients' data to be compromised, even though we have no control over it. We're just complying with a regulatory mandate. So these rules may seem opaque and complex in some cases, but they do, at the end of the day, have a direct impact on the on the retail investor. So this last rule that you were talking about, it sounds like it was designed to help people who may be committing fraud, like, you know, the people that just sell a bunch of stock because they know ahead of time that it's going to take a dive. So they sell their stock to make as much profit as they can. But don't we want to know the name and address and of people who do this sort of thing? Well, definitely the SEC and, and other regulators are, are able to compel any, any individual and, and a broker dealer as, as an agent they're able to compel them in any investigation to turn over any information uh, like that in any investigation that they're doing. But our concern is we think there were better ways than creating a database of personal information like that. The SEC's decided that's what they're going to do. So the second best thing if you're going to create that database is to make sure that you have the rules, policies, and procedures around how you're going to protect that database because it's going to become a honeypot for cyber uh you know, hackers oh, who right. want to go in and collect that data. So what we're saying is you've made the decision you want to collect it and have this singular database. What you need to do now is make sure you have all the tools in place to protect it, just like our members do every day 
with all their client data that they have to protect because you know because they hold a lot of client data and they you know last thing they want is for their client data to be compromised. Yeah, the government doesn't have a great track record on keeping data breaches at bay. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, look, it's, I mean, cyber resiliency is everybody's problem, and, yeah. and it's something that our industry spends a tremendous amount of, of resource on uh, because, you know, the, the, the most important thing to us is, is protecting our clients' data because if we don't do that, our clients will walk away from us, and, it, you know, it, we have a moral obligation to do it as well. So what, what I'm saying there is that this is something that should be a priority. This is something that should, you know, it's been laying out there for two years, and the, you're going to start incurring the risk at the end of this year. That's what you should be working on right now. Uh, other stuff can come in later. But, but if you try and do all this at once, you're not getting the most important things done in, in an appropriate time frame. Ken, thank you so much for your help. If people want to learn more about the rules that the SEC is putting out and also your work, uh, SIFMA's work in helping to protect some of our the rules that are coming out, where can people go to get more info? They can go to... Sure. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for having me. Um, they can go to our website, which is sifma.org, S-I-F-M-A dot org. Okay, great. Again, you are Ken Benson. You are the president and CEO of SIFMA, and SIFMA stands for the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association. You are not a regulator, but you just join together all the groups of people who have concerns about the regulators. That's right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.